John chapter 12, starting in verse 20, is where we'll be this morning as we continue our series, Love Walked Among Us. As we go through this series, for you to understand the reasoning behind the series, you have to understand three things that we've talked about before. Jesus is God, God is love, and Jesus said, love one another. So repeat those after me. Here we go. Jesus is God. Okay, you got to say that with a little more force because this, this is what we believe. Jesus is God. That was better. God is love. Jesus said, love one another. So in a world that talks about love often, love needs to be defined. And this is very important for us to understand. God is love. There is no definition of love outside of the one true God whom we know through the person of Jesus Christ. We know what real love is by looking at Jesus. And the Bible says amazing things happen when we look and actually see Jesus. That when we look upon the face of Jesus, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another, the Apostle Paul says. So if we're in here today and we desire or aspire transformation, that's a big word for change. No matter what you believe, the Bible says, look at Jesus. And as you see him and then see him a little more, you begin to be changed. That's what a group of Greeks wanted as they approached Jesus. Verse 20 of John chapter 12. Now among those who went to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, I want you to see that we're just like the Greeks. Even if you sit in this room and you don't believe this, my sense is at some level you showed up because you thought, man, I'd like to know a little bit more about Jesus. Or let me at least see what these people think about Jesus. Or maybe let me appease my friend who says they've seen Jesus. Or you've been around church a really long time and at least there's some rumbling within you that just says, if this is real, I need to see you more, God. Or some of you are really passionate. We want to see Jesus. That's why this group came is to see Jesus. That's why this church exists. This is in fact why any church should exist. Is that we would actually see Jesus. So Philip goes and tells Andrew and Andrew Philip together go and tell Jesus. What do they tell Jesus? There's some people here who want to see you. Now, Jesus's answer could get a little confusing, but if any of you are old enough or remember the 1992 movie White Men Can't Jump, there's a moment um, where Woody Harrelson is driving a car and Wesley Snipes is next to him, and Woody Harrelson, the white guy, puts in Jimi Hendrix, the song Purple Haze. And as Purple Haze comes on, Woody Harrelson's kind of acting like he's dancing, but anybody, no matter what color they are, can understand it's not a very good dancer. And Wesley Snipes gets really frustrated. He's like, what are you doing? And Woody Harrelson's like, I'm listening to Jimmy. And Wesley Snipes' statement to him back is, listen, you can listen to Jimmy, but you can't hear him. And a fight ensues. I can hear Jimmy. And he goes, no, you can't. You can listen to him, 
but you can't hear him. You can listen, but you can't hear. Jesus comes on the scene here, and ultimately what he's saying is, you can see me, but do you really want to see me? There's a difference between me just coming into your presence and you seeing me and you actually seeing at the deepest level, seeing at the level that's like touching Jesus. Jesus answers the second way, the ultimate way of seeing, the way of hearing. If you stay in the illustration of white man can't jump, he says this, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, at least as this scene's presented. He doesn't even listen to their question. He's brought a question. These people want to see you. And he goes, you want to see me? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, okay, we're in a church. These are words for us. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus is God and God is love and he's answering a question of people who want to see him and he says you want to see me understand that my glory is about to come about through me dying and he makes this statement that it's like a grain of wheat if a grain of wheat stays on the head of grain or just stays there as a grain of wheat all it is is a grain of wheat but if it falls to the ground is buried and dies it bears much fruit. Now, this isn't very hard. I want to tell you that this is the way life works. And I believe God constructed life to work this way, that if there's ultimately going to be a bearing of fruit, a transformation, the new coming about in your physical body, your old body has to die. Can I get an amen to all of us who feel a little soft, fat, unhealthy, right? The old ways have to pass. New ways have to come for something new to come about. That's right, right? Even if you want to develop new habits, the old way has to die for the new ultimately to come. If you want your marriage restored, the old ways of thinking and being and doing and acting have to die. And here he says, if you want to see me, you won't ultimately see me unless you follow me. And following means following the path of my life. The path of Jesus' life is like a J. Like it starts in his life and it goes down into death and only in his death does Jesus find his resurrection. What's amazing about Jesus when he answers questions is he says, this is what I'm about to do, but he invites us to join him in it. He does what only God can do. Salvation belongs to God. We don't save ourselves. But if we want to know Jesus, we follow him. It's been said, we believe in him. Well, believing him means a following. He says that very clearly. If you say you want to serve me, you must follow me. Verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must. They must. Not if you, if you actually are serving me, you are following me. And following me, watch the path of my life. Here's what he's saying is that death is at the center of love. Remember, God 
Jesus is God. God is love. He says us to love one another. If we're going to love, we must die. If we're going to love God, he says in other places, Jesus, you must take up your cross and follow me. If we're going to love one another, we must die to ourselves, Philippians 2, and consider the needs of others as more significant than your own. This is why G.K. Chesterton, a contemporary of C.S. Lewis, made a statement about Christianity that I love. And he says this, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and not tried. Now, you in this room may say, you know what, I've been to church. Some of you maybe were raised in the church and you may be just on your way out and you're like, you know what, this just isn't working for me. I've tried it my whole life. I would submit to you, G.K. Chesterton, saying to you, no, 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 no. It hasn't been tried and found wanting. You've found it difficult and not ultimately tried it. There's a man named Paul Miller that's the author of the book that uh, Love Walked Among Us came from. That's the title of the book. And we were in an interaction with us, a group of us leaders. And he wrote us back with this statement. This is found in no book, but I'm going to give it to you free of charge. Unless you want to pay me, I'll take your money. But free of charge. He says this, the person of Jesus. Remember we said this, that if we want to understand love, we have to look at Jesus. If we want to see change, we got to look at Jesus. The person of Jesus is low, slow, and hidden. That's very different than our world, right? That wants to be high, wants it fast, and wants to be seen. But the person of Jesus is low, slow, and hidden, like seeds in Jesus' kingdom parables. Now listen to this. The person of Jesus, you want to see Jesus, the person of Jesus only comes alive as you love. The person of Christ will not come alive to us unless we seek to do what he says and love perfectly, it better not be, just attempting. God, you told me to love my neighbor. I don't even know what that means. And you ask him, help me. And he puts something in front of you very tangibly and you just take the next step. And as you take these baby steps into love, we realize our insufficiency, but in so doing, we learn God's sufficiency and as we begin to walk in, we gain wisdom and we say, God is real. He really is. Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life. The person of Jesus only comes alive as you love. He will remain completely opaque to you. It's my job to teach you a new word every week, okay? Opaque means cloudy, filmy, like it's not quite there. You can't see clearly. He will remain completely opaque to you, which is the truth of so many of us in this room, no matter how long you've been in church. You hear about Jesus. You listen to Jesus. And the white man can't jump illustration, but you haven't heard him. And you haven't heard him because you haven't obeyed the words of James who said, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of it. As we do the word of God... Jesus becomes clearer to us. He will remain completely cloudy, completely opaque to you unless you begin foot washing. John 13. John 13, 17. Jesus avarly washes the disciples' feet and says, if your teacher does this, you should do the same. He says, if you know these things, blessed. Happy are you if, what? You do them. You want Jesus to come alive? We sang about this. He's the ultimate gift. 
You want him to come alive. You want to taste and see that God is good. Do the things he says in loving your neighbor as yourself. But this gets hard, and Jesus knows this is true. Verse 27, he says, Now is my soul troubled. This is right after he makes this whole statement on losing his life and the path of his life. He says, Now is my soul troubled. Seeking to love causes trouble. But the reality is Jesus is troubled on the most inner parts of who he is because of things that have come at him, people who've betrayed him, misrepresented him. Suffering has just come at him. But he feels suffering deep inside his gut. And ultimately he suffers because of choices he made. The word could be obedience. So I don't have this red volleyball up here for nothing. Um, Let's just say this ball represents trouble. He's troubled. Now, the reality in our lives is we experience trouble. Jesus actually said we would just because we live in the world. And there's a kind of trouble that just comes at us and is true of every human being. So if Cruz was here right now and stood up and I'm just talking and he had this ball and I didn't and he just threw it at me in the middle of this and I'm walking and wham, it hits me and I fall down. That would be like trouble coming at us that's life, right? And all you have to do is be a human to experience that. That's called suffering. And suffering comes upon us all. This could be a childhood cancer diagnosis. Or your parent gets ill. Or an unexpected expense that puts you in the hole way more than you expected. Or a job you thought was promising that's ended up being horror. Or a marriage you thought you were entering into that is now turned into absolute chaos. A child whom you raised and wanted the best for that's now sitting amongst the shards in an addiction. You name it, you know what it is, but it just hits you. You didn't choose it, you didn't expect it, in fact, you hate it. That's suffering and that's human life. There's another kind of trouble that just sits deep inside of our guts and different than Jesus, for us, a lot of this can be our own sin. Like the Apostle Paul testified to in Romans chapter 7, that why is it the things I don't want to do, I do. But the things that I actually really want to do, I don't do. And then he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And for us to recognize that that badness or sin, or the problem in the world out there that I love to point the finger at actually resides within me. For us to recognize that takes conversion. God opening our eyes to see it, and then in his power, we seek to turn away from it. That's called repentance. So the sin within trouble is called repentance. The suffering that just comes at you from afar is the trouble that comes at you from afar is called suffering. The trouble within because of sin is repentance. But then there's this other kind of trouble. And it's this trouble that sits out here. Typically, always, it's in the midst of other people. And this is the trouble that makes Christianity insane. It makes the words of Jesus absolutely crazy because he says love actually turns toward the trouble. Love actually moves towards the pain. Love says, you're burdened, I'm going to carry your burden. 
You're weeping, I'm going to weep alongside with you, which necessitates a nearness and a proximity to the trouble and eyes that look so intently at the person in trouble that you feel deep inside your guts. That's what the Bible calls compassion, bowels of mercy. And then you just begin to think, what can I do to help carry their burden with them? That movement towards trouble is called love. The one that comes at us from afar that we don't expect is suffering. The one we see within is called repentance. This one is what the Bible calls love. And when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, the Bible says, that's not even close to as shallow as a Hallmark card. This is the kind of love that, here's the reality, you know this. If you have people close to you, and especially if you're a parent, you know this kind of love because you're a parent. That your child falls into such deep trouble. It was a call I got this week from a mother who's about 70 years old that has a 47-year-old son. She calls me from Colorado. It's where I grew up. And she says, Tyler, I need your help. My son's 47 years old. He was a very, very successful businessman. But because of addiction, he's fallen into a place where he's been through rehab over a decade, 12 different times. He's now lost his entire family, has no money, and is sleeping in a garage amongst tires. I don't know what else to do. I don't have the money anymore. But I feel like I got to do something. Would you just call him? Would you just try to get in touch with him? Would you just move toward it? This is a mom who goes, I can't give up. He's my son. In the heart of the father in the Bible that's extended in the power of the Holy Spirit through the face and person of Jesus Christ is such that when we encounter trouble, we are compelled because it's God to enter into the pain. And this is what Jesus is saying. I will become opaque to you. That's all I'll be. You won't ever really see me unless you understand this. And here's the phrase, death is at the center of love. You have to die to yourself. We have to desire to the comforts, the conveniences, the safeties, the securities. And in the end, we begin to see how hard love is. It's not perfect. You don't know what to do. And so we fall to our face and we go, God, we are utterly insufficient. Because we don't even know how to love. Because truth is, when you look at Jesus, there are some moments the way in which you love is you intentionally erect a barrier between you and that person. So they fall away. This is the prodigal son story. The son wants to go off and take the inheritance in some weird way. The heart of the father is expressed by him going, yeah, take it and I'm going to let you fall on your face. Sometimes that's it. But other times it's like, no, I'm going to break through every barrier to get near and close to that person. How do we know? How do we know that kind of love? Empowerment. Right? The first kind of suffering that just comes at you is human life. The second one, you need conversion. God has to open your eyes. But in order to love like the Bible says to love, you go, Lord, that's impossible. And he says, we say this a lot, you're right. By yourself and with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And with God, you'll experience life that's worthy of the word of life. This full life, this abundant life that Jesus came to give. 
And he says this very clearly. The only way you're going to ultimately get this, and you're going to understand in the midst of all the confusion and the impossibility, the only way this can happen, he's saying to you, it's impossible without God. And it's impossible without you seeing what God has done on your behalf. And this is what he's beginning to say. I'm following this path. I'm on my way moving towards the cross. So he says, now my soul is troubled. And and in the midst of my trouble, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? He goes, so what should I say right now? Like, I'm feeling troubled because I know where I'm going. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? And then he says, this is the very purpose for which I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The purpose of Christ was built up in the love of God who so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten son. He's like, this is my purpose. So he's like, what do you think I should say in the midst of my trouble? Father, relieve me from this? He's like, that's my purpose. I'm not gonna pray that. Now here's what's crazy. He does end up praying that. As it gets closer, and the reality and the hardship of love gets near, and he's moving his way to the cross, he falls on his face, Matthew 26, and he prays, Father, if there is any other way, take this cup from me. This ultimately dying on behalf of the world, the taking the darkness of the world upon myself as the light of the world, me taking all of our sin upon himself, he's going, this gets too much, Lord. This pain is too great. I mean, imagine this, folks. Imagine this for a minute. The pain we experience in life, whether it's thrown at us because of suffering is because sin is in the world. Whether it's within us and in our own hearts, and it is within us in our own hearts, the pain that that creates you, the pain of being sinned against and the pain of sinning against somebody, all of the horrors of that suffering that we experience in this room, on its own, our own individual stories is overwhelming. He took it all upon himself. So when he gets there, he's going, God, if there's any other way. But he pursues through it because of the will of the Father, because of his love for God, because of God's love for him, because it's his purpose. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. For Father, glorify your name. Then a voice busts through from heaven. I have glorified it, my name, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there, I mean, imagine this, folks. This is where you got to slow down in the Gospels a little bit. The crowd that's sitting there is like, what? They hear it, they're like, did you hear that thunder? And then other ones are like, no, no, no. An angel has just spoken to him. An angel has spoken to him. Jesus says, the voice has come for whose sake? Your sake, not mine. Now, folks, realize this, the way the Bible's written. It was, the voice came for their sake, but that means you and you and us. This voice of what he's saying, I will glorify my son in my name through my son's death. I will show my glory to the world, and I'm asking you to be caught up in it, to listen to my words, to follow my ways, to... The words that we sing, it'll be my joy, we say, to say, your will, God. And he says, my will is a path that leads to dying on behalf of others. And when you die there, you see me and you're resurrected to the abundant life. We've said it in this series already. To love abundantly is to live abundantly. 
The abundant life is found in loving abundantly, but we cannot. It is impossible. Okay, just for the sake of me to make sure you heard it. Say that word after me, impossible. It's impossible to love this way. God does that through us when we see how he's loved us in his ways. He knows this, folks. He knows how hard it is. He knows what temptation is. He knows what suffering is. This is why Hebrews chapter 4 says this about Jesus. It says he's the greatest advocate of us, this high priest who represents us to God and God to us. Since then, we have a high priest who's passed through the heavens. Jesus is God. Jesus, the Son of God, because we have a high priest who's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. He's God, but he's also love. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Sympathize, empathize. That word in the Greek literally is both of these. He knows. He personally, experientially knows what you're going through and what we've gone through. He knows the difficulties of life. He knows the terrors of temptation. He knows the impossibility of love. He sympathizes with our weaknesses, but we have a God who in every way, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Don't just throw it off as he's God. He knows temptation, yet he didn't sin. He knows it beyond us. So what does that mean? When we see we have a God, one who represents us and advocates on us, who understands in this kind of way and beyond, what what should we do? Look at verse, therefore, let us then with confidence, not in trepidation, with confidence, running, run to the throne of grace that you could receive mercy and find grace to help in your time of need. Whether your help right now is because sufferings come at you like that red ball and you didn't expect it, whether it's your recognition deep inside your gut of your own sin, or whether it's in the recognition of the difficulty to love, run to the throne of grace. Run to Christ. The one who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. The one who says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. The one who fundamentally displays this in the most specific, unbelievable, historic, whatever word you can get, cataclysmic, epic event of like a grain of sand dying on our behalf. This is why Jesus continues in this. And he says, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the rule over this world be cast out. Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. That means in his being lifted up, he's drawing many of you. Whether you're a Christian right now, he's drawing you deeper. Or you're an unbeliever in this room and you go... I don't know if I've ever known this. He's drawing people right now by the power of his Holy Spirit to himself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. He'd be lifted up on a cross. So the crowd answered him, we've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? We were told he was going to be victorious. And you're saying he will find his victory through death. Who is this Son of Man? Jesus says to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness, I'm going to stop real quick and just know, he's speaking these exact words to us right now. The light is among you 
right now for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. This is the offer of Christ, not of me. This is the offer of Christ to everybody in this room. Whether you've already believed or have never believed, he's saying believe more. Take the little bits you can and apply them now. Don't just be hearers of the word, be doers. When you feel your insufficiency right now, your insufficiency to salvation, your insufficiency to deal with your difficulties, your insufficiency to love, ask God, Christ, come upon me in the power of the Holy Spirit. Save me now. Give me belief. Let's pray. Father, I pray on behalf of this room right now, God, give us belief. Let us be drawn into you. God, when we feel the impossibility of the commands that you've given us, let us say, Lord, help. Lord, come. Lord, give us your power. God, you are the Father who gives these gifts to your children. Give them now. Give us your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.